So we are in Mark chapter 15. I'll read through uh, the verses that we're going to cover tonight, verses 1 through 20. Uh, just read through it first. We've got uh, Jerusalem right like here, something like that. The crucifixion is going to take place here. Actually, the city comes out over like this. The Mount of Olives is over here. Jesus was arrested, brought in, probably through, we uh, talked about Nehemiah, probably through the uh, water gate right here and taken down to the high priest, met with the, the godfather, Annas, who's running things from the background, and then uh, brought, was brought to Caiaphas. That's at night. And then they took him to the Temple Mount, which was where the Sanhedrin, either on, on the Temple Mount or off to one of these rooms off to the side. And that's where they condemned him early in the morning because they couldn't meet or legally. None of this is legal until the sun was up, and then they're going to send him over to Pilate, who we're going to say is at Herod's old palace. And they do their business early in the morning. They'd get up and do the work early in the morning so that by 9, 10 o'clock, they're off doing leisure activities. The noblemen and those that are the, the ruling people, uh, they get up and get it. So they, the Sanhedrin realize if they don't get Jesus, decide that they're going to hand him over quickly, Her uh, Pilate will be off you know, especially on a holiday, holy day, you know, having ac activities and stuff, and Jesus will not be executed. By 9 o'clock that day, he's going to go out this gate and be crucified, and we'll talk about that next time. The alternative of his talk next, last time was he could, they could have been at Fort Antonia. That's the traditional way. More research is pushing it over this way, that this is where Pilate would have been staying. This was more of a, a fortress. Uh, this is more of a leisure place, and if he's going to go... Pilate normally lived, or he, not normally, he lived in Caesarea by the sea. Uh, right there is a picture of Caesarea by the sea, that pavement going out there, that the mosaic there. Uh, so that's where he lived in, in a palace. And so he's not going to come live in some kind of soldier's quarters for the holiday. So anyway, this is where we're at right now. And I'll show you some pictures and some details as we go through. So it's chapter 15, reading first in the NIV. Very early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. That's, you know, they took him from Annas and Caiaphas' house over to the Sanhedrin. They reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. One of the key phrases we'll talk about is the phrase, handed him over to Pilate. Now here's the conversation. Again, this is Mark's recording. We've also got Matthew, Luke, and John adding pieces to this. We're just looking at Mark right here. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. We'll talk about those two comments. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. And that's exactly what Isaiah 53 says. Like a lamb, we'll read, look at the verse. As that like a lamb uh, was silent, he did not open his mouth. That's one of the key prophecies of Isaiah, talking about Jesus' crucifixion, uh, is that he's silent. Uh, Jesus made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom, of the, feast, the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas, or Barabbas, was in prison with the insurrectionist, who had committed murder in the uprising. And we don't know anything about this uprising, but there had been some kind of an uprising, and this would be one of the zealots, and he was one of the leaders, and he was part of an, a, a murder, and he was arrested and put in prison. 
uh, the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Uh, so the crowd is going to come up onto the pavement and ask, request that he release a prisoner. So Pilate sees this as an opportunity to get Jesus set free because Pilate is not interested in this religious squabble. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. And the, the Matthew and, and Luke and John record similar things and give you more detail. Uh, it almost appears the crowd is asking, well, you could release Jesus, but the, the chief priests go, oh, no, and they go over and they persuade the crowd. It's almost like the crowd sees that there may be early in the morning a little bit of the crowd come out, hey, we could maybe get him set free. Now, again, that's not explicit, but the crowd does ask in the midst of this trial, can you set a prisoner free? I mean, are they just walking by, coming up, or do they get up early in the morning to go ask for a prisoner to be set free? Or are they saying, hey, I see what's going on here. You could set him free. And the chief priest then go stir the crowd up and snuff that out. Again, that, that's not explicit, but is that taking place? But they stirred up the crowd to have the pilot release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews? Now, this is going to be a theme throughout this. King of the Jews, king of the Jews. Pilate's got to stay on king of the Jews because that's a civil charge. You know, he's going to, if Jesus blasphemed or broke the law or something about the temple being torn down, it's like, just like when, when Paul was arrested, uh, they met in, in Caesarea uh, when he was over there. Uh, Felix and Festus decided, you know, he's done nothing that's worthy of death. I mean, it's some kind of Jewish violation. He's not worthy of Roman execution. Uh, so they weren't interested in that. And that, that's what the chief priests are coming at it for. And so the only thing Pilate's really got that can stick is he's claiming to be a king. What shall I do with the one who, who claims to be king of the Jews? One you call king of the Jews, Pilate asked. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Once again, not pushing the case. He's actually trying to slow this down. And this is very important. Uh, but they shouted all the louder, crucify him. So you've got a riot starting there in front of Pilate. And we're going to go through a little bit of history on Pilate that will reveal a lot. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, key phrase, He's got to avoid a revolt. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of the soldiers. And the praetorium is the stone pavement, and it also refers to stone, the high place, the higher lifted up place. I'll show you, that's going to be exactly where it's at. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. They began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews, again, King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him, falling falling on their knees they paid homage to him and then and when they had mocked him they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him then they led him out to be crucified now uh, that moves fairly quickly uh, the scourging is mentioned and you have to understand what the the scourging is it just makes a bypass it 
all the authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they talk, they, they talk about the crucifixion, they talk about the mocking, they talk about the scourging, but they don't go into the gory detail. Uh, that's kind of almost to be assumed uh, because it was part of their culture. But we know that Jesus uh, was brutally beaten uh, with the scourging. But it's interesting that they don't se- sensationalize that whole story. They could have spent you know, a lot more time describing the agony and the pain and all the blood and all the things that were going on. They just make statements and move through it, kind of sticking to the facts. But again, one thing that's interesting, besides the, f- the physical part, is the mocking. It's almost like they spend, and we'll, we'll see it come up in the notes, they spend, at least Mark does here, a lot of time talking about from, from the chief priest all the way down to the soldiers, to the crowd, the people watching on the cross, are mocking uh, Jesus. It's, it's, they're, they're, it's not just the physical suffering, but it's like they're, they're deriding him into the ground uh, of making fun of him and mocking him which again is a, a, a very uh, dramatic thing to take place. I want to show you a few things here before we get into this. This is our logo, of course. See if I can do this successfully. There's a logo again. Okay, there's our map. And as we talked about all the different places, this is probably Herod's palace was over here. And this is, if we look at this, uh, this is the va- a valley here, a central valley here and the Hinnom Valley here. So this is a rising ridge coming through here. But then coming up here is the Western Hill. And Herod's palace, this is Herod the Great's palace, a luxury palace, was uh, on the high place right up here. In fact, it starts to go down into the Hinnom Valley right there. So that is like the high place looking down over the city. And that's probably where they took Jesus. Uh, And here is the landscape. You can see the Mount of Olives, that says 400 feet, drops down. And this is topography. This is what you're looking at. That's when you look from the south looking at it, there's that rising ridge that, the, like we talked about, the wall of Nehemiah was built on this ridge right here. The temple's on the high part of that. Mount of Olives is high over there with a valley. Then there's the central valley that is really filled in, but it still rises. And there is Herod's palace, or what is called the citadel today. And that, that palace, the walls of that palace remain going back to the days of the Hasmoneans, the New Testament time. But of course, the Romans occupied that when they were fighting the the, the, uh, 10th Roman Legion, used that area for their camp as they were fighting and controlling Jerusalem after it fell in 70 AD. So there's remains of Roman walls. And then, of course, then you're going to have uh, uh, the rebuilding of the city, Aaliyah, Capitalia, and then the Crusaders are going to come. uh, And there's walls going around now from the 1500s. So that's always been a fortress. And I'll show you some pictures of that very place. Then notice how the Hinnom Valley drops off down here. And then that Hinnom Valley wraps around and connects with the Kidron Valley. So as we know, the Kidron Valley, the Central Valley connects to the Kidron Valley, and the Hinnom Valley curves around and connects down here with the Kidron Valley too. But this is where Jesus was taken right here. Interesting, the Mount Moriah, where the temple's at, you can stand there and look up at the Mount of Olives and look up at the Western Hill. And the highest place of this is on the north side. So this is really protected. Like, uh, you know, it says in Psalms, you know, I look, where, where does my help come from? I look to the hills. My, my Lord comes to help. And so there's, that's all around. It's protected by the valleys, surrounded by those hills. You could call them hills. They're called mountains. Uh, but anyway, that's just interesting to see kind of where that's at. And here we go. Okay, there's a, a coin, and you've got it passing around. There's, 
that's uh, kind of a, a scepter there, and there's more details on this uh, on, on the website. But that's going to be the decoration. But that's an actual coin of Pilate that was minted at that time. Uh, this is Herod's palace, uh, a model looking down at it. Again, we're not going to spend a lot of time looking at this. I want you to know that we know where it's at. Uh, this is a tower built by Herod. It's still there. The tower, tower, Herod built that. There's a moat going around that was built by Herod. Uh, there's a, if we go out like through the uh, Joppa Gate, you can go out this way, right in through this way for the Joppa Gate. This is the west wall. Uh, there's a tower here that you can see. Herodian towers are inside here. A lot of details there that we're not going to spend time looking at. There it is today. You're standing on the inside of the, the citadel today. There's some walls of Herodian. Those are walls left from Herod's time. Some Hasmonean city walls. Uh, this is all like, this would be a Muslim building right here. That's a, called the, the Tower of David, but it's some kind of a, a prayer tower, or whatever they do with Islam from sometimes. That's again, some remains of inside the palace there. There's a tunnel going through the wall there. Now you're outside the wall in, in the Hinnom Valley, going down, you're not all the way in the Hinnom Valley, looking up at the, the wall of the city. And that's again, there's the moat. Herod built these walls. That's one of the towers. He built three towers around there, and they had apartments in them. They're luxury apartments. When people come to his palace, you can stay in this tower, this room here, whatever. Uh, this was a moat where they'd be surrounded by water for his protection. Again, that's more about that. There's, again, the, see how the tower comes down and then flashes out? So it'd be very hard to climb up it, and there'd be water here, so you'd have to come across the water then climb up a mountain. You know, you get in, you just couldn't get in. It was well protected. He had this place in Jerusalem, but he also had Masada, had the Herodium, uh, had uh, Macarius across in, in Jordan. So he had all these different places that he could run for protection, and they're all luxury. That's my breakfast. Okay. <laughs> um, I grilled, I grilled uh, what do we want to look at today? Let's leave it, right? That's where it's all going to be happening. That makes it look like, does that look good, Tony? people are watching online they go hmm looks like he's intelligent he knows what he's talking about all right all right what i'd like to do right now is go to to set the stage let's uh go to the back page where it says on page three page three bottom page three uh and we're talking about pilot tonight because that's the key key phrase right here a key player tonight in the story is pilot he is the governor he is appointed uh, over Judea by the emperor. And he's going to go through a couple of emperors. He's going to be uh, the Roman governor from 26 to 37 A.D. So from the whole time, from John the Baptist's ministry through Jesus' ministry, he's going to be the governor of that time. He's going to be, I believe, it's the longest ruling. Uh, there's 14 governors that are going to have Roman governors uh, are uh, prefects they're called that are going to rule uh, he's the fourth one i believe it is the fourth one or the fifth one um we'll see but he's the, he's going to be the longest one he's going to rule under collegial uh and here's some situations that got him in trouble on the back page look at the very fifth point see that first name i'll try to pronounce it lucius Elias Sajanus. Uh, he was nominated. He nominated Pilate for this position 
in 26 AD. And we'll just call him Lucius because I think I can pronounce that. Uh, uh, he was the prefect of the Praetorian Guard uh, in Rome. So Lucius nominates Pilate to be the governor of Judea. Lucius himself, again, the full name Lucius Elias Sajanus, uh, was the leader of the Praetorian Guard, which is the emperor's personal bodyguard. And so he was one of the leading men in Rome that supported Pilate. Uh, and so everything's going good for Pilate uh, under Tiberius. Uh, when Tiberius retired in 27 AD, so Pilate's been on the job for one year, uh, the emperor, Tiberius, basically retires and, and spends his time on a couple islands, uh, just, you know, in the Mediterranean world. And Lucius, the, the leader of the Praetorian Guard, uh, kind of steps up and handles the government for him. He'd be like his uh, whoever, like, say, let's say you've got a president who just isn't functioning there'd be someone behind the scenes that's actually running the government. Uh, Tiberius is the emperor, but he's retired. I mean, he's just like, uh, take care of it. So Lucius is running the government for him. Well, after so long, it's going to go well for him. In 31 AD, he was named a consul along with Tiberius. So in 30, this is 27, he is like running the government for him. By 31, he's basically equal to the emperor, except he doesn't have the title. And it's at that point, uh, on October 18th, we're almost at the anniversary, on October 18th, 31 A.D., Lucius, 31 A.D., Lucius decides, you know what, I'm still going to just take over the government. And he leads a revolt, uh, tries to overthrow Tiberius, and within a matter of a few hours, Lucius is dead. Now that's going to play back now, Tiberius realizes he's got problems because Lucius has been putting people, including Pilate, in places of power. Pilate is supported by Lucius. Lucius supports Pilate. Now, Lucius is trying to take over the government. Tiberius first goes through and is going to eliminate certain people in their government positions because of their favor with Lucius. Pilate doesn't get eliminated, but he is on the watch list. So this is all kind of taking place. Now all of a sudden, Pilate is going to have Jesus, who is brought before him by, we'll just say, the enemy. The enemy wants Jesus killed. Pilate knows, it even says, knows it's out of envy. There, and that word envy, the envious enemy, they just wish they had what Jesus had. I mean, his ability to move a crowd, his ability to explain the scriptures, his ability to just have people. I mean, Palm Sunday was, this is, this is Friday morning. Uh, we, we've been in this, these chapters for like months. So we lose sight of the fact that Friday, Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday, Sunday, the whole town had turned out to welcome Jesus into the city. And these people for that and many other reasons, are envious. So they want Jesus dead on this Friday. And they're rushing. They're, they meet Pilate. Pilate's getting up in the morning, and they're already, hey, we got a case for you. Before you go off and start your recreation, we need you to condemn this man, Jesus. He says, oh, what has he done? Well, he, he thinks he's a king. He thinks he's a king. He's very dangerous. And Pilate, who knows 
these people, he's been ruling them for several years and has had, I'm going to give you the list of conflicts he's had with these people already, knows this guy is not a problem. So Pilate is going to try to set Jesus free, but he also is on very thin ice, especially, and these guys know it, they, they've been reading the papers, they've been listening to the talk shows and the podcasts, they know what's going on in the empire. So, that's going to, Pilate's on thin ice. He, he, he wants to defend Jesus, and he makes a couple efforts, but in the end, he's got to sacrifice Jesus to defend himself. I'll say that again. What's happening here tonight, they want to crucify Jesus or have him executed. They bring him to Pilate. Pilate knows Jesus is innocent, and so he's going to make a couple efforts to protect Jesus, to let Jesus go, to deliver Jesus away from the enemy the enemy is going to turn and attack Pilate that if you let him go, you're going down with him. So Pilate, now he's got to make a choice. Am I going to sacrifice or set Jesus free and sacrifice myself, which could be execution? Or am I going to sacrifice Jesus and prove to the emperor that I'm faithful to him? And so he goes about starting to wanting to save Jesus, but by the time the enemy gets done controlling the situation, He's got to sacrifice Jesus to save himself. And you decide if that's what's happening here. He's going to sacrifice Jesus to save himself. And at first, he's the, he's the, he's the, the governor. He, he's got the ability to set Jesus free. Um, now, the top of page four, this gives you a little bit of history about what we know. And this is recorded by Josephus and Philo. Uh, he wrote in e Egypt about these days. Um, the first thing Pilate does when he comes into Jerusalem in 26 A.D., uh, he himself is in Caesarea by the sea in the palace there, but he decides that he's going to take uh, uh, the uh, image of the emperor or little yeah, busts of the emperor on the military standards and take them into Jerusalem, intending to take them into the temple. So he's going to take Roman, uh, just see how this is going to go with the Jews. Roman military standards with, we'll just say the bust, but we'll say image, image of Tiberius, or, or the emperor on those standards. They're going to go into Jerusalem. Now again, the Jews, have, they don't even, if you notice that coin uh, uh, of Pilate, there's no image on it. There's, there's words, there's wreaths, there's a staff. Same with Herod. Herod had anchors and he had stars and he had things on there, but he had no, there's no image of an emperor on there because that's against, images were against the Jews. So that, that, that's one way. But he's going to take, first thing he does, gets to Caesarea, he's going to take an image on a Roman standard into Jerusalem, into the temple, and uh, the Jews travel the 70 miles to Caesarea outside his residence and have like a five-day protest outside of his house. Uh, it, it, it's peaceful. It's, it's non-combative, but they're out there shouting, you know, uh, Jewish lives matter, Jewish lives matter, or, you know, whatever. And, uh, and, and he, he's like had enough of it. So this is, this is Pont Pontius Pilate, 26 A.D., uh, you know, four years before this situation that he's in the night, he just tells his soldiers, just go out there and kill him. I mean, a bunch of, I, I'm the governor. They're not going to protest. It's been five days. Tell them, well, they go out to kill him, 
and the Jews just lift up their heads and offer them their throats. Just kill us. It's like, so Pilate realizes it's going to be a bloodbath. I'm just going to slaughter these people standing in the sidewalk in front of my house. Again, it's a residence. So what he says, fine, and pulls the standards out of Jerusalem and retreats. So that was his first encounter with the Jews. And now you see the mob. He's going to just kill the mob. They say, kill us, and you'll have a bigger problem on your hands. Uh, then he spent temple money. The, the temple always had treasure. He spent uh, temple treasure, took it out of the temple, and built a 23-mile-long aqueduct going up through Bethlehem into Jerusalem using temple money for a civil project. Uh, people protest the fact that he used religious temple money for a Roman uh, civil project. And there was, again, many people were killed or massacred in that revolt. So he avoided one, killed him here. We got another one that we know of in Luke uh, 13. I, I missed the verse, but in Luke 13, it talks about Pilate having, we don't know the story historically, but that somehow people from Galilee came to Jerusalem and were offering their sacrifices and some kind of revolt broke on the Temple Mount. And so they killed these Galileans or to set the revolt down, they mingled their Galilean blood with the blood of their sacrifices. And that's, that's not recorded historically. That is in, in the Bible. So they, again, he's already done that. And then there's a story uh, before this had taken place. The Samaritans, just north of that, north of Jerusalem, they decided that they were going to dig up this, these ancient artifacts buried by Moses and do some kind of religious civil activity there. And to stop that from happening, Pilate went up there and killed them preemptively before they could get the project started and find these ancient relics. He went up there and killed them. Now, all of this is him trying to be Roman, manage the Jews, and now they bring Jesus. In this situation, they bring Jesus to him. He's uh, in a situation where his allegiance to Rome and the emperor is, is being questioned, and uh, he's already had, he had handled one situation well, although he sent his soldiers out to kill him. He realized that's not going to work, but he's had three other situations where he just slaughtered people to avoid it and there was a backlash of him just you're ruling these people and you're just killing him well now the crowd is building up and so now he's going to have that same crowd is he going to set jesus what happens if he sets jesus free what happens if he does the right thing uh i mean it, it could it could be another bloodbath it could be uh it could be his career so it's like okay i don't want these guys will be willing to die for this I'm not willing to die for any of it. In fact, he didn't even want to be there. He's, he's holding his ground as, as a profession. He's holding, doing his time in Judea so that he can get back to Rome. All these noblemen, all these governors, they serve with the intention of, if I do a good job, I can be back in Rome where the action's at with a higher position. Well, he's going to end up going into exile uh, into Gaul and, and being removed from office and dying, you know, obsolete somewhere else in Gaul over on the on the west coast along with his wife okay page one of the notes uh first thing Pontius Pilate is the Roman per prefect of Judea crucifixion and the trials of Jesus are described by Mark with with restraint and objectivity you're going to hear the story the gory details are not dramatized or sensationalized 
Uh, he does not draw sentimental feelings. The story is not written for you to feel sorry for Jesus. He could have gone through all the emotions of it. I mean, you do, but that's not how the story is written. And this could be, again, be careful how you approach this. The way I just described Pilate, Pilate is shown here to be uh, innocent. And who's guilty? The Jewish leadership is guilty. Pilate is written off or presented as being faithful to Rome. He's willing to make this statement and be faithful to Rome. At this time, when Mark is writing this, Nero is in power. He is crazy. Uh, Christians are being persecuted. And so he does not want to write a gospel that makes the Romans look guilty and that Pilate was killing an innocent man and he was bloodthirsty and all that the Jews are already under persecution. The last thing they need is some inside written production, a gospel account that makes the Romans look like, well, you're the ones who killed Jesus. And they had the authority, but he's got that very well covered in the sense that no, Pilate was in control, but he was manipulated by the Jews, didn't know how to handle it. The Jews are responsible, not Rome. I don't think he's, he's not creating the story. You see the same thing in all the Gospels. You can see the same thing in prophecy. You know, Zechariah 12, 13, 14, the Jews will look on the one when he returns, the one they, they pierce. It doesn't say the one the Romans pierce, it's the one they pierce. So they're held accountable for it because it was their king that they handed over to the Romans. But Mark may be writing this entire gospel trying to uh, maybe you know, present to the Romans a fair presentation of what took place, what Christianity is. And you're not going to be able to do that by saying, and it was your fault. Uh, they're, they're part of the picture, but that's, that, that's really not even the, the moral of the story. So it's written in such a way that it does not make Rome look barbaric. Uh, the focus is on the soldiers, or not on the soldiers, but on the mocking of Jesus. I've got written down here, uh, these verses uh, in 1516, the soldiers are mocking. In 1521, Jesus too weak to carry the cross. Tw- uh, 22, he's degraded with the death of a slave. I mean, he dies the death of a slave. His, his accusers mock him in 26. Bystanders mock him in 29 and 30. Chief priests mock him in 30 and 32. Verse 32, those on the cross mock him. And then in verse 29, once again, the crowd mocks him and shakes their head. Meaning, Jesus is with Pilate, and when he sends him away, all the way to the cross is Jesus is being mocked and ridiculed. And that is, again, astounding when you consider who Jesus is. Uh, Just three points here. Matthew records Pilate's wife having a dream and Pilate washing his hands. Matthew actually records... That Pilate says, I want nothing to do with it. His wife calls and says, don't have anything to do with this innocent man. He comes back out and says, you know, this man's innocent. Here, you want to crucify him, you do it, but I'm washing my hands. I'm innocent of this man's blood. Now, he had the power to stop it, but it would have been, again, a bloodbath. It would have cost him his career. It's like, I don't know what to do. Here, I'm done. You you kill him and it's it's on you. They go, that's fine, we'll take responsibility, and they go. And that's not in the book of Mark, that's in Matthew's writing. So, I mean, it's not like Mark's making up a story here. Uh, Luke adds the interrogation by Herod Antipas, we've talked about that. We're not going to see him going over to Herod's 
uh, the Hasmonean palace, the Herod Antipas, and coming back, not in the book of Mark. And then John uh, adds a, a, a theological discussion that Pilate and Jesus have. They start talking about truth, what is truth. And Jesus says things in the book of John, like, uh, you know, he, Pilate's in his... The, the issue here tonight in Mark is Jesus is going to be silent. Now, when it says silent, it doesn't mean he doesn't say anything because even while he's being silent, he's going to ask a couple questions. And in John, he's going to have a conversation. But he's going to be silent when the accusers come. It's not like he, he's not going to defend himself. It's like he's been being handed over, and that's going to come up several times. I'll show you that. He's going to be handed over in the book of Mark, which means... He, like a sacrifice, he's being handed over, and God's will, he's being handed over in God. Meaning he's he's uh, he hasn't given up. He's submitted to you know in the garden. It's like this is what's going to take place. Is there any other way? But your will be done. Here I go. And the last thing he wants to do is start arguing his case, because when Jesus starts arguing his case and pointing things out, uh, guess who wins the argument? I mean, Jesus has to keep, in a sense, has to keep his mouth shut because he's handed himself over to God's will. God's will is for him to go to the cross and pay for the sins of the world. And all this arguing and detailing, am I innocent? Am I not? It's like, that's all just details. It's like, yes, you're innocent, but the issue is not if he's innocent or not, is, is Jesus going to go pay for the sins of the world? And yes, he is. Yes, but he's innocent. Okay, that's, that's yes, that's true, but we're not going to spend three days arguing and proving jesus is innocent because he's already submitted he's going to the cross the cross is where he's going so when they, they accuse him he's not say yes but this and, and then start accusing them of everything i mean jesus could have just ripped everybody to shreds and accuses them of all kinds of stuff but he's silent like a lamb like isaiah said he because the issue is not am i going to get treated fairly am i going to have a just trial is are you going to go to the cross yes now any conversation that's his silence any conversation he's going to have with Pilate, you could almost put that in the category of him having a one-on-one dialogue speaking light and truth to Pilate. do you want to join me do you want to believe in me he's almost in a sense starting off apologetically and he's going to, we're going to see as he talks to Pilate, Pilate is going to, in John, he's going to, in other verses, he's going to say, he says, don't you know that I, I've got the ability to kill you or crucify you or, or set you free? And Jesus says, and going back to that's the beginning of the theological discussion in John, he says, you wouldn't have any power unless it hadn't been given to you from above. Meaning, I, Jesus, I, you need to talk to me. I can set you free. No, he says, you've got power from above. If I want to talk to someone with authority, I'll talk to the Father. So whatever you're doing has already been determined. And he says, so you are, you are a king. And Jesus said, well, not of this world. And he says, because if I was the king of this world, my subjects would be fighting for me. So I, I, yes, you are true. And John says, yes, you're right. I am a king but nothing you need to worry about. Nothing Caesar needs to worry about. I'm, I'm a king from another time, another dimension. You're fine. But yes, I am a king. Because if I was a king of this age and I wanted this kingdom, 
we'd be fighting and we would win. But as of right now, my kingship is nothing for you to worry about. And then he says, why have you come? He says, he says I've come to proclaim truth or, you know, come to, you know, speak truth. And, you know, what is truth? That's all, that's all the theology. There is a conversation going on, but none of it, the, the silence is Jesus trying to get himself set free. So here we go. The English Standard Version make a few comments as we go through this. Chapter 15, verse 1. And as soon as it was morning, again, remember, it's got to happen quick. And they've already, as soon as the sun came up, Sanhedrin has a trial, and they move him across town to Herod's palace, uh, where Pilate's staying. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests and the, had held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. The idea there is the whole council was unanimous. You wonder if uh, Josephus and uh, uh, Nicodemus were left out of the invitation. But they were unanimous, and they lead him over to Pilate. Again, I point one, Roman leaders did their work early in the morning. By mid-morning, the uh, patricians and the noblemen were pursuing their leisure activities. The ideal of being delivered or handed over, this is important. You can see it written down right there in chapter 14, verse 10, 11, tw- uh, 18, 21, 41, 42, 44, and then here. So there's like seven or eight times in ch- chapter 14, 15, Jesus was hand it over, hand it over, or as the English standard does it, delivered over. And that gives the impression, as you got written down right there, Jesus is being brought in, delivered over, handed over like a sacrificial animal. Here he is, here is our offering. Here he is, here is our sacrifice. We're, we're handing him over, and it's according to God's plan. And Jesus is being handed over because it's God's plan. He's going to the cross. So every time they bring their sacrifice, he goes to the next step and is getting closer to the cross. And again, you, you should take note of that. It's like, well, that's interesting. But it's, it's so dramatic, not dramatic, it's so overstated in chapter 14 and 15 that Mark is pointing that out. He was handed over, handed, he's going this way. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. Now that is the English you have said so. That's Jesus' response. Now, this is exactly the way the high priest asked Jesus, are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? Uh, and the point one, are you the king of the Jews, is like the high priest's question in that it is stated literally as a statement or confession they want Jesus to challenge in the Greek. As literally it says, Pilate says literally in the Greek, you are the king of the Jews. Now, so, I mean, it's a a statement, you are the king of the Jews, as a confessional statement, but it's got a question mark on it. You're the king of the Jews. So, you're the king of the Jews. It's like, and Jesus says, you've said so. That's that's your confession. It's like, yeah, yeah. And the high priest saying, you are... So so you're the Christ. So we are all standing in front of the Son of God, the, 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 the deity himself. And Jesus, well, that's what you said. It's like, and then he went on, built on that case. And we talked about that last week. So when he says, are you the king of the Jews? He's in a sense saying, you are the king of the Jews with a question mark, wanting Jesus to say, no, 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 this is, you've got, this is, not, this is getting out of hand. But Jesus doesn't say, Notice when it says, 
are you the king of the Jews? Or literally, you are the king of the Jews? Jesus say, no, no, no. And he doesn't say, yes, yes, yes. If he says, no, 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 that's a lie. If he says, yes, 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 he's going to his death because he's what? If he says, yes, yes, I'm king of the Jews. Well, okay, that's a civil offense right there. It'd be like me, or, you know, some, it's, you can say a lot of things in America. Uh, you, know, you know, say I present, I'm the president of the United States. Okay, that, I mean, that's not going to get me in trouble. It's going to get me, like, ri- you know, ridiculed. But it's like, or if you were to make some kind of statement, think about some kind of a, uh, something that you would not want to say publicly, out loud. Like, uh, I've got a bomb. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like, if you say that, uh, you're gonna, there's going to be a reaction. And rightfully so, you're going to be arrested for what you just said because you just said you've got a bomb. bomb. Well, you're persecuting me because I'm a Christian. No, we're not even thinking about you being a Christian. You say you've got a bomb and we're putting you in. So if he says, you're, you're the king of the Jews. And she says, yes, I am. Well, that's a threat to Rome. Move on down the line to the cross. I mean, it's like now he's not being going as a sacrifice. He's going as claiming to be the king of the Jews. So he's not, he has not presented himself as a government official. Jesus, he's talked about the coming kingdom. He hasn't ever, he hasn't lied or covered things up, but he has definitely kept things in perspective. He was respectful to the leadership. He was respectful to the government. Uh, he would challenge the religious authorities when they violated the word of God or the covenant. Uh, and the same thing here. If he says, uh, when he says, uh, so you are the king of the Jews. And Jesus says, no. Well, that's a lie. If he says, yes, well, that's a civil offense. Now you're going to go to your... And so, point two, Rome was not interested in religious violations of the Jews, such as the temple threats or blasphemy. Notice Pilate will say, they say that uh, you've blasphemed Yahweh, or you've blasphemed the Sanhedrin, or they say you're going to tear the temple down and rebuild it. That's all religion. He goes right for the civil. So if you're a king, we've got a problem. If you're not a king, I have no issue, because they're going to have all kinds of religious debates and arguments. They can't even agree with each other on what's right and what's wrong. So I'm not, you know, even that happened in Corinth. It's like when the uh, Galileo found out that there was the issue that they brought Paul in, the trial for brought the the christians in for uh the jews were trying it was a matter of law it was it was it's a theological debate rome's not going to decide your theology and threw the court case out and that was in corinth so if this was just something the sanhedrin was arguing about Pilate could care less and again rome was was interested in the civil matters such as someone claiming to be the king uh this would be a political charge and it was an issue Beginning in 63 AD, the minute Pompey came, 63 BC, the minute Pompey came in and the Jews were fighting each other, the, 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 uh, the Pharisees were fighting the Sadducees, there's a civil war in Jerusalem, Rome had a fight to get in to keep the Jews from killing each other in 63 BC when they took over the province. From that time on, there would, each side had their own, quote, Messiah, their own king, their own leader. There's a civil war. That's one of the reasons Rome came in. They established what they call, you know, Pax Romana, meaning Roman peace. They, they, they don't have peace themselves. We'll bring peace. It's like an elementary classroom teacher. Kids are all fighting. The teacher brings peace. What's it called? Discipline. And I'm in charge. Be quiet. Be peaceful. And they brought peace into the classroom or peace into Judea by saying 
we're in charge, you're not, and if you mess with us, we'll kill you. And so well, you can't just say it to kids in the classroom, but you know they could do it here. And so starting in 63 B.C., uh, you've got these wannabe militants rising up, and these militants would claim to be the Messiah or the king. They're going to throw, overthrow Rome. They would gain a following. Rome would have to go down and fight the, the newest Messiah and put that down, and it continued until up until 66 AD now this is the Jew this is exactly the Roman wars Jewish wars with Rome in 66 AD and once again 132 AD after they crushed the Jews in 70 AD 132 AD that's where you get the bar coat but we talked about that the son of the star uh, and uh, right out of the numbers prophecy in 132 AD they had to stop them again because the rabbis actually addressed Bar Kokhba, called him son of the star, changed his last name uh, so that he would be the Messiah. So the idea, this ideal of the king of the Jews or the Messiah, this was, during this time period, very militant. It, was, it meant war. If he's the king of the Jews, it would mean he's got a military and he's making a plan to attack rome and throw them out it's like well would they actually do that well the the leaders were afraid that that was going to happen in, in the, the 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 high priest says uh, in it's in the book of john it's better that one man die than the whole nation perish and john says he said that as a prophecy because if if jesus was did what they thought he could do and led a revolt they knew they would be destroyed uh, by the Romans in 30 AD. Now, by 66 AD, they convinced themselves they had enough power to overthrow the Romans, which was very foolish. Even Josephus, after he got started, he, when he was defeated, he just, he says, we'll never do it, and tried to convince them to stop. And then they tried it again in 132 AD. So, nonetheless, this ideal, by this time, of a king, a messiah, they're not thinking Christian messiah, coming, save the world, die for the sins of the world. They're thinking Messiah, military, overthrow the Rome. That, that's the only thing they can see, which is a warning for us on our eschatology, me and my eschatology. I can, I can only see, I can study, I can compare books and commentaries and study the Scripture, look at what they decided in the past, what didn't happen, and project in the future, but I'm still looking at it just from my frame of reference. Uh, and their frame of reference, if Jesus is the Christ, if he is the Christ, he's going to have to fight the Romans. If he's not the Christ, he won't fight the Romans. And that's why Peter, Judas, all these people were like, well, Jesus is not going to fight now, but are we now? Even after his resurrection, and again, I've said it before, uh, as he's ascending into heaven, they go, okay, that was, they got through all the, this trial, they got through the crucifixion, got through the resurrection, they spent 40 days with Jesus, he's talking about what's going to take place, and what they're supposed to do, and they ask him, as he's about to leave and go into heaven, and begin what we call the church age, they ask him, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Okay, I know this whole plan is about you overthrowing the Romans, and establishing Israel as a, a nation again, and, and ruling the world. This was quite a journey. You did a lot of things that totally surprised us, but we're glad we stuck with you. Now, now, 
are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel and are we going to overthrow the Romans? It's like, no. <laughs> he says, but you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth and proclaim this message. When do we fight the Romans? I mean, even, I mean this, is the, this is still in the book of Acts and they're still like, when is this war going to happen? And Jesus just goes up into the clouds. And again, that war is going to happen when Jesus comes back in the clouds. But nonetheless, that's why this idea of when it's, Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? That's a huge statement because that means he's got a military somewhere. He's got weapons stored somewhere. And his whole intention, he's just creeping up on his attack on Rome. Are you a king of the Jews? Uh, and he answered, you have said so. I, I am not, I, I, that's, that's what you're, you're the one that brought that up. I didn't bring that up. In other words, that's your confession. Um, and the emphasis there is on you. That is your confession. I'm not talking anything about being a king at all. Because what's he there for? He's there for what? Jesus is there to do this very thing, to be tried, innocently accused, or falsely accused, and go to die for the sins of the world. Are you a king? right but that's really not what's at hand right now me taking over the roman empire he, could jesus have taken over the roman empire at the beginning of his ministry when satan says if all you'll do is bow down and worship me i'll give you the kingdoms which makes you wonder what, what what's going on spiritually right here if jesus would just like he said in the garden of gethsemane peter i could call a legion of angels and be delivered i mean I could take over the world right now. He said or during his ministry, what good would it be for man if I gained the whole world and you had to forfeit your soul? He said, I could take the world. We could rule the world, but then you're all going to die in your sin and you're going to lose eternity. So Jesus, yes, he's a king, but that's not at play right now. What's at play right now is the cross. The Christ has to go to the cross before the crown. So yeah, I'm a king, but I'm not a king you need to worry about right now. Uh, and point five on page two, Jesus' silence is submitting to God's plan. When he's silent, uh, that is what it says in Isaiah 53, verse seven. He, oppressed, or excuse me, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. This is a prophecy about Jesus. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, handed over, handed over, handed over. And as a sheep before her shears is silent, like standing before Pilate, he is silent, he did not open his mouth. He's standing in front of the sheep shearer, and he doesn't open his mouth. Now again, he'll t he's talking to him, but he's not defending himself. And the chief, verse five, chapter 15, verse 3, and the chief priest accused him of many things. And again, most likely religious things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? This is amazing. In fact, he's going to say in verse, chapter 15, verse 5, but Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. He's made his statement, and I'm not going to defend. If he starts defending himself, he's going to win. Or he's going to start accusing people, and they're all going to come down. But that's not what he's here for. He's not here to be king. He's not here to win the trial. I'm here to be handed over, handed over, handed over, handed over, handed over until you're nailing me on a cross. So, and Pilate's amazed. He's not amazed that it's the crowds are amazed at Jesus' answer. They are amazed at his works. Pilate is amazed at his silence, meaning 
I know you've got an answer for this. I mean, it, it's probably just his, his presentation, his, the way he's already talked with him. He knows, I know you've got an answer for these guys. I, 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 he's maybe heard about him lecturing them, de, uh, debating them on the Temple Mount. And he's just standing there silent. That amazed Pilate. It's like, what are you doing? Now again, if you're scared, again, if a, if a person is standing before Pilate and the chief priests are accusing you and you're just scared and you don't know what to say, you wouldn't be amazed. It's like the kid's scared. I mean, he doesn't know what to do. Or these guys are lawyers. I mean, if a lawyer were to start rattling me with questions, I too would be silent. I'd be like, but you wouldn't be amazed. He'd be like, oh, Galen's confused. He don't even know what to say. I'm either scared or confused. I don't understand the question. But Jesus isn't scared. He understands the question. He knows exactly what to do. But he's just standing there. It's like, Pilate's like, this is amazing because he's not scared. He's not intimidated. He knows the answer. He's not stupid. Something's going on. What's going on is Jesus is being handed over to the cross. But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. And that's two times it's going to say Pilate was amazed at Jesus' silence during this conversation. Now, at the, at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. Now, again, I'm going to insert this, and maybe I shouldn't. That's what it says. Out of nowhere, it just says, Pilate used to let someone go at a feast. Like every time a feast, he takes someone out of prison and send them back to the crowd. Even in the mission, there's a, a, a rule where uh, they would prepare a, a lamb, a sacrifice for the one that was coming out of prison. I mean, it's kind of like it was, it's not a lot about that, but it brings up it up right here. It's as if um, it was Pilate's idea. Again, I'm not, it doesn't say that, but Pilate's trying to think, it's like, hey, there's some people here that are inside of Jesus, Jesus' side. Maybe I can play to the mob. So these are the chief priests, the elite, trying to bring Jesus down. Jesus just, he's not guilty of anything. But these guys, if I tell them I'll set Jesus free, because it's my tradition, I always set someone free. And maybe Pilate's bring this up to the crowd. Who would you like me to set free? Have you considered Jesus? I could, you accuse him, he's guilty, I set him free and we all have a good day. Maybe that's what happened. I, I, I'm adding that into there, the, the, con, the, the, the situation. But nonetheless, it says, Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison, right now arrested, who had committed murder in the insurrection. Now it says, in the insurrection. So in 64, 65 AD, ah, you go, oh yeah, the insurrection. Now, we don't know what that is. It's lost in history. It's not the 66 AD. It, it, it's not the, you know, it's probably something building up for 66 AD, but there was the insurrection, and someone was murdered, and Barabbas was arrested and put in prison as a murderer. Uh, now, who he murdered? If it was a Roman, you'd think he'd probably be dead by now. But nonetheless, he uh, committed murder in the insurrection. There was a man named Barabbas. Now, Barabbas, the name means, you can break it down, the name means son of Abba, or Abbas, Abba. And you know what Abba means? Abba means father. So this, his name, Barabbas, means son of the father. Right, right there, I mean, that's what it means. 
Well, you go to the other Gospels, and you know what his first name is, right? You guys do know this, right? What? Jesus. Yeah. His name is Jesus called Barabbas. So he's got the same first name as Jesus. The other Gospels say that. And his name is Jesus. Are you, are you, are you, are you getting this? His name is Jesus Barabbas. Jesus, son of the Father. And Pilate is offering them Jesus, the Christ, or the Son of the Father, the Son of God. I mean, it, it's, it's that close. I mean, that's just, that's just in the, put a little theology in there, it's the same thing. This is a little f. And Mark, in his wording, actually makes that a, a, a distinction. So, point, point four. So it is Jesus, son of the Father, or Jesus, son of the Father, and Mark's wording distinguishes Barabbas from the true son. This is the son of the Father, but he's offering him Jesus, and they wanted the other one. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? In other words, it's his tradition to set them free. This trial's going on. And it's public. This is not behind closed doors. He's in the, out on a tribunal. That would be the, the high place where he's on a, a bench. Uh, it's called the Bema seat. And we, we know that from eschatology. We will all appear before the Bema seat of, of Christ, which is the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus is standing in front of the Bema seat of Pilate, who's going to make a judgment. Someday we will all appear as believers appear before the Bema seat of Jesus where he will judge us for, you know, we're, we're saved by faith, but we will be judged on what we did, rewarded on what we did. Uh, and that's the Bema seat of Christ. We, we almost give an account. It says we almost give, it's, it's the word logos too. Logos, Bema seat. We almost, it's not like you're just, you're not going to, this, this is scary in itself. You're not going to get away with this. It's just like, Nick's Galen. And then God is going to say, this is my judgment, thank you, and you go away. It says, we must all give an account. What's that mean? You're all going to have to answer, meaning logos. You will all speak. You'll stand in front of the Bema seat of the Lord, and you'll speak. And he'll ask you questions. And it's like, uh, you can't just make stuff up, because his eyes are like penetrating fire. He's... It's like he asks, like, he says throughout the Bible, like, like uh, Adam, where are you, Adam? Oh, good, he can't see me. <laughs> I mean, he knew where Adam was. Uh, Adam, why, why are you got clothes on? Did, did you eat from the tree? Uh, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know where I ate. I don't know what I got on. It's like, or Balaam, you know, he goes, he goes to sleep and God appears to him at night. And these men had come to him to give him money to go down and curse Israel. And God comes and says, hey, these men, stay at your house tonight. Who are these guys? Oh, good thing you asked, Lord, because I can help you fill in some blanks. You got some questions? I can. It's like God knows the same thing. When, uh, what's he going to ask you? Well, whatever he asks you, you're going to know the answer. Nonetheless, way off subject. Jesus is standing in the front of the Bama seat. Pilate is, is judging him. And the crowd comes up. And it, it, this is where I say... And, and they, verse 8, and the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. They come up to the Bema seat, Pilate. 
we, you know, you usually give us a prisoner. You set someone free. Are they coming early in the morning to ask that Barabbas go free, the murderer? Can we get the murderer out of prison? Or is the crowd seeing what's going on right here and the crowd coming up and saying, hey, can you, can you just let Jesus go? He says, yeah, that would work, wouldn't it? And he answered them, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Do you want this man said, are you afraid of the king of the Jews? Is he going to lead you in a revolt? Meaning, I think Pilate's kind of doubting this guy is a, a threat. Not, I mean, you know he's not. You want me to release you the king of the Jews? Meaning, I think this king would be safe with the crowd. For he perceived, verse 10, for he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. So right now, the problem is the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the religious leaders that are pouring this on. It's possibly the crowd has come up and said, can you send him free? Pilate says, yes, that's a good idea because he knows this guy's not guilty. These guys are just envious of him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. So you see right there, the crowd wasn't stirred up. We want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. They came up to the pavement, the Bama seat, and actually talked to him. Like the crowd is negotiating. But the chief priest like, no. And they go over and they start stirring the crowd up. Because they're like the leaders. Remember how intimidated the people are of the religious leaders. Because they get kicked out of the synagogue or something. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? This guy you say is the king of the Jews. He doesn't have a following. He's got no weapons. He's no threat. What will I do with this king of the Jews who is not a threat? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Point one there under chapter 15, verse 12. Three times Pilate tries to argue Jesus' case. In verse 9, 12, and 14, Pilate argues Jesus' case. Well, what, how does this even make sense? And Pilate doubted Jesus was guilty in chapter 15, verse 10, and 15, verse 14, where Pilate's saying, this guy's not, Pilate is not trying to kill Jesus. In fact, he's trying to get him released and, and have a good, fair Roman trial. And Pilate said to them, why, what, they, they say, crucify him. And watch Pilate, verse 14. And Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? Well, we've been telling you now for 20 minutes. He's, it's like, right, I haven't heard a thing. Uh, there's nothing that he's done. I mean, they've been accusing him as fast as they can talk and as loud as they can speak. And he says, I still don't know what he's guilty of. He's king of the Jews, but he doesn't look like a threat. Uh, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Now what they're doing right here is mob rule. It's mob control. They got the crowd going. Everybody's chanting their chant. It's getting out of control. And one, two, three, remember that we started class one, two, three, four times where Pilate has faced the mob. Sometimes he's killed him and got in trouble. Sometimes he's backed off because it's like, oh, this is going to get me in trouble. Well, this thing is turning into another situation where he's he's trying to set jesus free but as the mob grows it's like oh my gosh i gotta save myself this is no longer about jesus this is about oh man this could get back to rome very quick so Pilate, verse 15 so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd release for them barabbas the son of the father and having scourged jesus he delivered him to be crucified. Now, scourge, there's your word scourge. That's all it says. Scourged him. 
slapped him with a stick or something. No, that's, that's brutal what they did to him with the, the crucifying or the, the scourging. And we have to pick that up next week. And the soldiers led him, away, led him inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, uh, and they k- called together the whole battalion. And so they take him inside, they whip him, and then they take him inside and mock him. So before he goes to his crucifixion, they beat him, and then they go in and toy him like a cat does with a mouse inside the praetorium on the high part of that like we're talking about up in here, in this place, somewhere in here, they take him in on one of the pavements right in here, and that's where they've got Jesus inside, and they start mocking him, and then they're going to lead him out the gate for the crucifixion, and we're going to stop and, and pick this up next week. Uh, I'll pray, and if you have any comments or questions or insights you want to share, you certainly can. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for your word. We do ask that we would consider Jesus as our Savior, that we'd consider him as our ransom the the redemption that was offered for our sins that we would see what jesus was doing but also he is going to be coming back as the king the the one who will set up his kingdom on this earth we ask that we'd have confidence in his salvation today confidence in his kingship for the future that we'd live a life of testimony and witnessing just as mark was encouraging the readers of his book to do in the first century that we would do the same thing that we'd be bold we'd be confident knowing that we will face persecution and opposition but the king is returning and the king has saved us we ask that we would continue to walk in his ways and do the things you've called us to in jesus name amen thank you for being here